Hello, brothers and sisters. Pastor Jason here. So good to be back with you on this podcast. I want to talk to you about something that's really helped me. It's helped me in my spiritual life, and it's helped me to be able to help others a lot better once I learned these principles. And I want to talk to you this morning about spiritual growth. And a lot of this will come out of the textbook of stuff that I've learned through the class that I took whenever I was in Bible college. And the textbook for this class was called Revelations That Will Set You Free. And this book was written written by Dr. Reiner, an instructor there. And you can find that on Amazon, but it's more like just a textbook of scriptures and of information to be able to explain to you some of the concepts of revelations and how we need revelation in our spirit. But one of the first uh, chapters of this book is on spiritual growth. First of all, I want to go to the scriptures and be able to read, and I want to start with the epistle of Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. I'll start in verse 3, and here's what it says. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things, things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So see in verse three, first of all, it establishes what Peter's trying to tell the people. See, Peter wrote the second book of Peter to address the people of, first of all, the agnostics and also the antimoniums. Now that uh, you'll have to be uh, liberal on my pronunciation of that word, but basically the antimonians believe that since salvation was by grace alone, the requirements of the moral law were irrelevant. So he's writing this and he's he's kind of rebuking this idea. And that's really where we're living a lot today. We're living in the idea that the moral law is irrelevant. Uh, matter of fact, they will people will even go as far to say now that if you lie, then it's not wrong unless you believe it's wrong. And that's his whole idea of secular humanism, moral relativism. When he's writing this, he's establishing this, that we have to remember. He's setting the tent stake out there to say, remember, God is calling us to glory and virtue, that we are, there is a moral law There is because there was a moral law giver. And when he gave us this, he's calling us to, what is glory? Glory is God's glory or the opinion of God. So he's calling us to raise the standard of the opinion of God and of also then to virtue. And virtue is something we need to learn. But, and then verse four, it says, whereby are given us exceedingly great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And boy, it's so relevant to where we are today because that's where, you know, especially the extreme left and those crazy thoughts of, you know, what I believe is right you know, you can't, there's no objective law. There's nothing outside of me that determines anything, but it says we're to escape that idea that we can just consume and do what we want to do, whatever's right to us. Verse five says, and besides this, giving all diligence. And that's where we'll start in verse five of the real spiritual growth teaching. And besides this, giving all diligence. So be very diligent. We need to be diligent to add, see that word add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge. This is where step one of spiritual growth goes. Now, whenever I think of spiritual growth, I try to tell people years ago, I was praying about this and talking about this. And I feel like that sometimes when we think of spiritual growth steps, it's like going up the ladder. So as we go up the ladder, we're closer to God. But the truth is at salvation, we're as close to God as we will ever be. Now we may have better behavior or worse behavior, but by faith, you know, Abraham was justified by 
by faith. He believed in God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So the moment of faith is accounted to me for righteousness. And the further along I go in spiritual growth doesn't mean I'm counted more righteous. Righteous is righteous one way by faith we have in Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross. Now that's hard for us to understand, but it's so true because that's what I love about God. He's not self-defeating. We don't have to work our way up the spiritual ladder, but it's so important that our true faith starts in faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and us turning from our sin in that faith. So we know that first of all, we need to have faith. So faith is the first step to spiritual growth. And if you're born again, then you have repented, you have been forgiven, you have accepted his work by salvation, but it doesn't stop there. Then it says virtue. And what is virtue? Virtue is yielding the direction of my life to the Holy Spirit and to God. You know, learning I don't have enough information to direct my own life. So whenever I drove around the country in oil fields, I'd see trucks and on the side of that truck, it would say, Jesus is Lord. And that was before, before I was saved, I thought that's the stupidest thing you could ever. Why would someone write that? Even though I believed in God, I believed in Jesus. Jesus. Now, I didn't have an active faith. I had never turned to Christ and trusted him with my life, but I thought that was so silly. Jesus is Lord. Well, see, Jesus is Jesus, but Jesus is also Lord. That was a very true billboard, a very true statement. See, that's the second part of spiritual growth. And instead of thinking as these things as steps going up toward God, I like to think as these steps walking forward in life. You see the difference? It's not a spiritual ascent, but it is a spiritual walk. So as you walk from faith, then the next square, the next step is virtue. And virtue is really yielding the direction of my life to make Jesus Lord of my life. Because there's a very great gap there that people have. A lot of people want to pray to receive Christ, but they don't want to yield their life to God. And it can be a very frustrating place when we're trying to serve God and still trying to run our own life. So that's the the place between step one or two. And as I'm talking about these, I hope you think about where you are in your walk. If you are really yielding your life to Christ, you are going to begin doing things that Jesus and the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And you're going to yield to those things. You know, this is where you'll start in obedience and things like tithing, because you don't have enough information to run your own life. You give to God. And it doesn't mean you're more spiritual, but what it does mean is you say, I am going to give you, I'm going to allow you to be Lord of my my life. And then after faith and virtue, then there's knowledge. And see, that's where another place I see people stuck. They start being obedient to God. They start regular church attendance. They start maybe going to a Bible study and actually reaching out to other people. And then they get stuck because they're doing a lot of good spiritual things, but then they're not building their knowledge base. And that's understanding what is truly right and wrong. So just because I can make an error, just because I can make a mistake, doesn't mean I should continue in that. Remember what the scripture says in Romans chapter 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So understanding what's truly right and what's truly wrong. These things are real important in this step. You know, we cannot be, you know, control doesn't happen from the outward, a checklist. That's what's, I've seen people so frustrated. They're like, I just can't get this thing right. I'm so frustrated. I can't do good enough. And see, that's when we realize through revelation that we can't do it, that God has to do it through us. So now instead of being externally motivated, we have to be internally motivated. Which brings us to our next step. And you just read right down the line in this, starting in chapter five, and then adding to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brother, kindness, to brotherly kindness, charity. See, that's where all of these are coming from. The apostle Peter is just basically going from one basically 
square, one basic step, one basic movement forward through time. And uh, it's just so greatly illustrated here. And then the next step for after knowledge is temperance, choosing to do what is right because I want to. You know, understanding God's unmerited favor without works, developing internal motivation through grace. Now, we know we do good works, but we can't be motivated by good works. Let me explain that a second. We can do a lot of real good activity and we can do a lot of things, uh, abstain from things, not drinking alcohol, not cussing. All those things are important. And I think they're fruits of the spiritual growth process. I think we need to get to that place to where we learn those things, but I'm not motivated by those things. Why? Because eventually when you don't cuss, eventually when you don't drink, eventually when you don't chew and hang around the girls that do, whatever those things are that you don't do, eventually you're going to get down to where those things are harder to get rid of. Uh, Like, for instance, our selfishness, for instance, our attitude, for instance, things like that, because we're naturally a selfish people. So on this step, we're really learning not just to do good things, but we're going to learn our motivation is through grace, our motivation through just loving other people. That's what Jesus kept saying. You know, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and also to love your neighbors yourself. So we're motivated through grace because of what the grace that God gave us. Now we're motivated. See, it'll be a frustrating place if we're constantly trying to live by a bunch of check marks. If we do good, we feel good. If we do bad, we feel bad. Yes, we need to do good and we need to strive for goodness. We need to put the stake of spiritual holiness and rightness out there, but we can never be only happy when we do great things and good things because because the truth is we're all human. The Bible calls us sheep for a reason. Sheep, I, I helped shear sheep. Whenever I was younger, we had sheep. And my goodness sake, they're some of the dumbest animals. Sorry, but they are. If you love sheep, that's fine. But they were they would just had a hard time. You couldn't hardly hurt them. You couldn't hardly get them together. They just kind of are helpless and useless, and you can't guide them. And remember, those people around you, those people that are trying to serve God with you, or that in the world that are, that are saying they're Christians, they are still sheep that doesn't change. They are sheep and we need a shepherd. And it's so important, even if we check off all the spiritual check marks, we're still in desperate need of God and his holiness and his righteousness to have that temperance motivated through the grace that he did in us. Remember that this step, it's not an external control to do the right things because God is sitting up there at the hammer waiting to smack us, but it is motivated through grace because of the love of the God that works through us. You see the difference. And then the next step is is patience. And this step is that I've heard people say, don't pray for patience. Well, brothers and sisters, if you've served God long at all, you've learned it. Don't matter if you pray for it or not. You go through a process of learning this, but it's basically unswerving dedication to do right. This patience is when my brother, where is our faith tried? When my brother sins against me, I still love him and serve him and try to help him. I mean, that's where our faith is truly tested in personal relationships relationships and also our careers and also how we give and the people that we share our circle with, if you will. You know, knowing God will always meet all my needs, knowing who I am in Christ, this patience to be unswerving, not changing, not letting a situation change my godliness, not letting someone else's behavior turn me against them and become hard hearted, that our patience through that, that knowing that God meets all my needs, even if someone disrespects me, even if someone treats me not right, even if somebody uh, 
robs me, if you will. You know, a long time ago, I thought I used to worry as, you know, as we get things, you can, the devil can come in and say, you know, so what if someone takes it? I'm to the place now I've had a lot, I've had things taken and I've had things destroyed and I've had things lost. But you know what? I think now if someone takes something from me, they're really stealing from God. And I'll tell you this, I would hate to be in the position for someone to robbing God because God will teach them a lesson. I don't have to teach him anything, but we're to have patience to continue. And then the next square as we walk forward in our Christian life is godliness, you know, acquiring the character of God, walking according to the spirit, dying to yourself. Remember in Romans chapter eight, it says, if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that's our, and see, you see how we're kind of going further down the road, how it's getting to be where it's just more all about him and him working in us. But we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And after godliness is brotherly kindness. And you know, that's just loving Christians, loving people, just accepting people who they are, learning true compassion. See, used to be when someone sinned against me or somebody did something wrong against me, and I have a great circle of friends, a great circle, a great church. You know, I have great people in my life, but whenever someone would do something wrong against me, I used to always kind of say, well, you know, they're just sin. They just sin. They have a sinful heart. They have sinful motives, and that's just the way those people are. But instead of thinking like that, I think that's damaging thinking. Instead of that, I try to say, Lord, this person's really irritated me. They make me want to, you know, give them the right hand of fellowship. And I mean, across the face, you know, these, these people have really irritated me. But then I try to tell the Lord, move me toward compassion. See, I have pity on people that continually do people wrong. I have pity on people that are stingy and mean and hurtful. And I see them hurting other people and using their power and their authority against other people. And I have pity on people that manipulate. I see people that manipulate people, even in the kingdom of God. And instead of looking down at that person, I remember they're sheep and it doesn't matter. They can, you can be in ministry and still have a lot of these weaknesses. Remember this friends, the only difference between someone in ministry and someone who's sitting in the pew is the anointing of God. We all have the ability to be anointed, but many of us have not had a calling on our life to do it. But ministers are still sheep. People that have rule over you are still sheep. I see people on that point out people on TV and their failures. And, you know, one guy got given a car and his church, you know, he asked his church to pay for his church and then turn around and bought a Lamborghini. And they're pointing out all this bad on these preachers and all this stuff, but they kind of forget that those people are people too. And I want God to bless them. I want God to help them. But my point in this is even if I see when someone's done wrong, according to my perceptions, remember how we perceive people doesn't always mean the way they are because our perceptions aren't always true. So I bring that into the light of God. And I say, God, help me to have empathy or compassion because I'm a sheep too. It's leveled the foot of the cross. I'm not better than them. They're not better than me, but that's just accepting people how they are. That's moving us towards just loving. And then last but not least here. And then finally it says charity and charity is the final place of the spiritual growth step that we get to. And that is knowing that God is love being motivated by purely love, just love, just loving the loss, loving the sinner loving the Christian. And I think I know several people that are at this place that they just love all people, but we have to work to stay here. Doesn't that sound like an oxymoron that it's just, you know, like jumbo shrimp, you know, that it's just how, how can you work toward it, but yet, yet still be motivated by grace? Well, that's why we need God. That's the whole thing. We will never 
be full enough on God that we need to shut him off and say, I've got this, God, I can take it from here. We are to continually seek the Lord, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things, what temperance, patience, godliness, the fruits of the spirit. We are going to have to continually fight against that old devil, fight against that flesh in the spiritual growth process, because truthfully, I want to be motivated by love. When I help you, I want to help you because God wants me to help you, not because I think I've done this to get my spiritual check mark that says I've done a good thing to God. See, that's a selfish way to help. And you can help people out of the wrong heart. I've done it before, friends. I know what I'm talking about. I've helped someone and felt better about myself. See, there's nothing wrong with feeling okay and feeling good about helping someone, but you better be helping people because God helped you. And you better be helping people because God wants you to, or eventually you'll have a wrong heart. If you help someone and they don't do something right, with the whatever help it is, the time, the money, the resources you give them, and they don't do the right thing, you can become resentful. That's one red flag that says you're helping someone because out of the wrong motive is when you help someone and they don't do what they say they're going to do, then you get frustrated or irritated. No, I want to help someone that I love them enough to make their own decisions. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. I need to allow them to do things that are not lawful and still love them enough to know that God will deal with them. God will work on their heart. My job is to help them regardless of how they respond. Why? Because that is not something I do just to help them. It's not something I just do just because I help them to make myself feel better. I help people because that's who I am at the core. And I help the kingdom of God because that's who I am at the core. Worship is not what we do, but worship is who we are. When we truly get to the step of charity, of true love, we just do it because simply his spirit lives in us and we continue in God we continue in patience. We continue in these steps. This step, we will actually lay down our life. Jesus said, there's no better love than this, that a person lay down his life for his friend. We lay down ourselves, even sometimes if we're stepped on, even sometimes if we're taken advantage of. God doesn't call us to be a stepping stone or a kicking stone, but he does call us to lay down our life and just purely and simply love out of our motivation, and we will willingly climb up on that cross and be crucified in our flesh will be crucified because that's what he did for us will actually allow people to be people. And so I want to encourage you in these steps of growth. Remember, add to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. And we can go in and out of these things as we result to the flesh or the spirit. But I pray that you set the stake out there and say, I just want to love all. And that's not easy. It's a lot easier said than done. It's not near as easy to do it than it is to talk about it. But that's our goal. When we get to that, we see the glory of God, the opinion of God raised, and we can allow God to work in us. This week, I was challenged by a situation that I really was done wrong, not intentionally, I don't believe, but they really made some major mistakes. And I got to be the one to be able to respond. Do I respond in love and a heart of giving and a heart of mercy? Or do I respond in a way that's judgmental and make them feel bad? And God, sometimes it costs us a great amount, sometimes money. This week, it was money and time a great amount of money, a great amount of time. And my job was to stand there and I caught myself in a crowd of people I normally wouldn't have been around, but I had the choice. Am I going to let this be godly 
and let this be a good witness so the opinion of God is raised? Or am I going to result to my flesh and be rude and be hateful and, you know, be demanding? Because I had every right to the world standard. I have every right to be able to be that way at this time. But I didn't because God works in me. God's loved me. And who am I? Who am I that God would be mindful of me? God bless you, friends. Hope this word's been good to you. And until next time, God bless.